Hey everyone, welcome to a very special edition of the Nickish Show. I know we haven't uploaded an episode in a while, but we're very excited about this one, as it just so happens to be our 50th, and because we got a special announcement for you guys. Very special, in fact. Um, since it is a big 5-0-50, you know, we had to do a big for a special announcement, so we're very happy to announce today that uh, you and I have officially partnered with Lou Will, bring us our own Magic City franchise to our humble home of New York City. <laughs> You know what I mean? Queens. So. <laughs> we, we, we bring in a feature of this one for the ribbon cutting ceremony. Oh, you 100%. Do it right. We got that booked. You know what I mean? I had to go pay mad fees just to get just to rent one of the big ass scissors to cut the <laughs> ribbon. You know what I mean? So, like, we got everything just hashed out. <laughs> but, um, no, nah, on, on some real, real serious shit, we do have a major announcement that has uh, kind of, you know, come of fruition through just two years of hard work at this. So, I'll throw yeah. it back to you. Yeah, I mean, you know, like my co-host mentioned, we've been working on this podcast for nearly two years now, and I think in that time, we we learned a thing or two about the Knicks fan community. I think we've seen that there's so many, so much more out there than than what we thought. Yeah, I mean, obviously going in, we knew Knicks Film School, you know, the great content those guys are doing over there. Obviously, we know posting and toasting. They've been a heavy hitter in the, just the Knicks yep. online discourse and, like, content for a minute now. But just throughout that two years, we saw other like passionate just content creators that are just kind of fit the same vibe we do that um we really identified with in terms of their output, their passion, and what their knowledge is like. And um, yeah, I mean it was a, a it, it was a pleasant surprise because you know you and I went in talk about educating the masses, but uh, yeah, you know we we ran into some cool folks, very cool in fact. If you want to take it from there. Yeah, in fact, we decided to partner up with one. And that being said, we're excited to announce that Nickish is taking his talents and joining the Nothing But Nicks network as ambassadors. Nothing But Nicks is one of the most renowned and straight-up authentic networks of Nicks content creators. And we're proud to say today that we're officially part of the team. And this episode itself is our interview with the founder of MBK, Simeon Russell. Now, in this one, Sim dropped a ton of gems uh, mostly from his experience starting out as a blogger and later as a content creator. And we also talked about the Knicks front office, coaching, and the team as a whole. Yeah, it was a great conversation. Yeah. You know, first and foremost, got to give thanks to Sim for not only giving us the opportunity to team up with nothing but Knicks, but also just taking the time out of his day to, you know, cop on our little show. You know what I mean? Do us the pleasure of doing that. And because, you know, he even told us during the recording, he had another show lined up. You know what I mean? So this is a man that's serious about uh, just the content creation, putting out good stuff for Knicks fans and music fans alike, you know, because yeah. he's got the front stoop and outlet um, he has on YouTube that covers music commentary as well. So he'll get into that himself, you know, like like my co-host said, a lot of gems in this. And it's definitely you guys are definitely in for a treat. Yeah, enjoy. Simeon, man, welcome to the Nickish show. We are so excited to have you on. And again, we're, we're excited to be a part of nothing but Knicks. Uh, how you doing, man? How, how's it going on this Sunday morning? Doing pretty good, man. I'm doing pretty good. First and foremost, let me just say thank you to both of you guys for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. Uh, and I appreciate you guys joining the Nothing But Knicks family. Uh, the whole MBK network, I think, is going to be great. Hopefully, everybody gets a chance to go check it out. I'm pretty sure Mo and is going to tell you guys a little bit more about it if they haven't already. Um, but um, I'm doing good, man. Just, uh, you know trying to find a little piece of normalcy in oh, yeah. what's been a crazy few months. 
for sure. Yeah, mid <laughs> mid August is where we're at right now, and the NBA playoffs are starting in a couple of days. It's it's crazy year this year. Yeah, but um, you know that might be one sign of normalcy is that playoffs are starting and the Knicks are on the sidelines, so we could take some uh, solace <laughs> in that. You know what I mean? <laughs> right, right. Give us a little bit of comfort, right? Exactly, Something that yeah. we're used to. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Uh, so, so speaking of which, um, nothing but Nick started basically three years ago and mm. we want to really know what inspires you to get started, but more importantly, what got you to continue? Because as we know, the last three years have been as crazy as any three years we've ever seen in Nick's history. So what, what really inspires you to get started, but also what really kept you going? Well, you know, I, it started off as a blog. <laughs> I, I was with actually you know you guys are familiar with sportscaster because we're part of the mbk mm -hmm. network sportscaster used to have i forgot what it was called now but they used to have a, a a blogging network before it became a live streaming network and i was part of that network and i would uh you know just write stories um just my experience with the knicks Right, so they it wasn't really a, a blog that updated you on everything that was going on with the New York Knicks. I did some of that, mm -hmm. but it was more just my stories, you know, how I reacted to a game, uh, uh, you know, how I made a connection. You know, me and my son built a bond through watching Knicks games, or me and friends built a bond through watching Knicks games, things like that. Uh, so it, it started out that way. And I had a, a a nice following on Twitter at the time. So that's how I would get all my views. Mm -hmm. And then I tried to get verified on Twitter, mm -hmm. right? Because I had a, I had a good um, uh, following there. I said, well, let me try to get verified. I submitted the application and somehow, some way, my entire account got wiped away. Wow. Oh, man. I was like, what the heck? <laughs> right? I contacted Twitter. I said, hey, you know, I tried to get verified and my account's now deleted. They said, well, we, we don't see it. We don't see that you ever had an account. I'm like, these people are crazy. So I restarted the account. And of course I had to start over, right? And, you know, the blog didn't have the same cachet kind of because all of my, my viewership came from Twitter. Right, yeah. So I said, well, let me, you know, let me try something different. You know, let me just try something different. What year are we at right now in the story? Jeez. This was probably 2015. 2000. So 2014 is when I really started it. And that that year I went to um I went to training camp with the Knicks. Not mm -hmm. training camp. I went to Media Day. I went to Media Day, uh, you know, got to interview some players and things like that. And that was that was great. That was fun. That was that was you know, I, I've never been invited back uh, because they had some, you know, change in leadership and yeah. all kinds yeah. of stuff. So, you know, they all have a different stance on how they invite blogs and newspapers and uh, different type of media outlets. But mm -hmm. that was a that was an awesome experience. You know, it was, it was a great experience. I mean, I, I went in and I sat down. I didn't know that they had seats for like this, like a little area where all of the media wait. Mm hmm at the Westchester facility before they go out on the court. And I just went in and sat down. And then I look up and it says Wall Street Journal. And I'm like, oh snap, I'm sitting in the Wall Street Journal seat. You know, but luckily <laughs> that whoever it was, they never came. So I just stayed there, you know, and, and I got the, you know, 
I was I was next to Mark Berman. Um, I was next to a, a Frank Isola. Oh wow! Frank Isola, you know, you know, uh, he recognized me because I wrote an article on the blog mm-hmm. blasting the New York Knicks media, mm. right? And I put it out, and then he DM'd me. Oh man! Of course, as he does. That's what yeah. he does. That's what <laughs> he does, right? He DM'd me, you know, saying, um, you know, you're blasting the media, but aren't you trying to be part of the media and this and that and the other thing? I was like, like, who is this guy? Why is he worried about my little blog? Right. You know what I'm saying? You know, why is he worried about my blog? But when I got there, I see, you know, you know a couple of people asked me, you know, who, you know, where you're from, blah, blah, blah. And when I said nothing but Knicks, I seen he looked at me. We didn't speak to each other, but I seen he looked at me like, oh, shit. That's the guy that I sent a message to. <laughs> right, but, did he, but, did he, did he look know. like he saw a ghost just turn pale? You know? he, he did. He did. He did. Wow. He looked at me, and you could see it in his face like, oh, maybe I shouldn't introduce myself to this guy because he probably already knows who I am. Uh, <laughs> but it, it, was a, it was a great experience, really good experience. Um, so that was like 2014. Uh, I think... 2015, 16 is about the time when um, I was I tried to get verified on Twitter, mm-hmm. and you know my, my account was deleted. So I said, well, you know what? Let me try something different. I went to YouTube, and I started doing some videos, just pre-recorded videos. I was a little bit, I was a little bit shy in the mm-hmm. beginning, right? So now this is around 2017. Right. I was a little bit shy in the beginning and I wanted to kind of do the same thing. I wanted to interweave stories with um, interweave stories with, you know, current updates, you know, so, you know, that's what I started doing. And then after each game, I was, you know, I would do a pre-recorded show, but it, it started, it was like, you know, the Knicks play every other night, sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, back to back. Right, right you know, or three games and four nights, you know, whatever it is. And it was like, man, I, I wasn't able to record the video and edit it in enough time to get it out. So I said, let me try to do this live. So one night uh, I was I was at a conference someplace and I said, all right, I'm just going to jump on my phone and, and see what happens. I jumped on the phone and about 70 people jumped on with me. And I was like, oh, snap, I got 70 people just jump on and start talking with me, uh, you know, maybe I have something here. Mm-hmm. You know, I had some things jotted down and I started, uh, you know, just reading off of, you know, what I had jotted down and just talking to people, responding to people in the chat. Uh, when I got home from the conference, I said, okay, how can I make this look like a pre-recorded video? Mm-hmm. Although it's, it's um, live, I want this to look as close to being pre-recorded as possible. So then I started using OBS and, and, really learning OBS and, and, you know, how I can switch between screens and do certain things. Um, I figured out how to invite fans in, mm-hmm. uh, let fans call in. And then I decided, you know what, I'm going to take what my blog was supposed to be to another level, right? or at least try to take it to another level. And I want to get the fans experience, you know, uh, you know, what they felt about the game, um, you know, how they feel about the Knicks. 
experiences that they've had with their family members, kind of like, you know, I was doing with the blog, but now this could be a live experience that everyone can share in. Um, so I kind of made it my mission for this to be a site that is not based on, you know, we got all these experts coming in and telling us how the Knicks are supposed to be and yeah. what they should yeah. be doing. But we have the fans talking about what the Knicks are supposed to be and what the Knicks should be doing, how the Knicks and how the fans feel. You know, uh, it's one of the reasons that I've stayed away from trying to bring in too many reporters and experts and even players. Mm -hmm. um, because I, 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 I fear that if we start and it's not easy to bring in players so it's not like i could just reach out and say hey come on in right but i fear that if we start bringing in players to talk mm -hmm. now we have to be careful what we say on the show yeah it takes away the you authenticity know? right exactly you know yeah. because part of the show is we get mad at julius randall for spinning in the lane and turning the ball over yeah. you know what i'm saying uh, you know, we get mad at Mitchell Robinson for not shooting the, uh, a jump shot from the top of the key. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, you know, we, we get mad at Coach Fisdale for just not being a good coach. Yeah, exactly. You know what I'm saying? So, like, you start bringing those people in. Now you got to be careful. Well, I don't want to say this about this guy because I might have to talk about him later on. You know, I might have to talk to him later on and they may not want to come on the show. If you're TNT, you can almost do and say what you want, right? Because you're going to get players anyway. Mm -hmm. When you're nothing but Knicks, you might have to be careful. So I was like, you know what? I just want this to be a fan experience and I'm going to, uh, you know, just focus on the fans. You know, maybe every once in a while we'll, you know, have something like that or someone like that come in. Uh, but I just want to focus on the fans. So that's really where it came from. And as far as why I continue uh, throughout all these years of the Knicks just being the Knicks, it's just because I love basketball and I love the Knicks. Uh, I always tell the story when I was young, you know, life was a little bit hard for me. Mm -hmm. And, you know, basketball was – uh, it, it was just something that I could rely on. It was a constant for me throughout uh, throughout change. Right. Basketball was a constant for me. I could always go someplace to find a basketball court to play. There was always a basketball team that I could be a part of. And the Knicks were always there. You know what I mean? And nights when, you know, not to get too deep, but when we sometimes didn't even have food in the house, mm -hmm. I would lay down, you know, you know, at times no no TV to to watch it, but I could always get WFAN and I lay down and just listen to what Clyde Frazier called the game. You know what I'm saying? And it just got me through a lot of nights, man. So that's where my dedication always comes in with the New York Knicks. You know, they just always been there with me. You know, so I'll, I'll always be a fan. I'll never leave being a fan of the New York Knicks, not for the Nets, not for anybody else. <laughs> I am a dedicated New York Knicks fan, you know, but that's basically, that's where nothing but Knicks came from. Nice. Yeah. I mean, man. that's beautiful, man. Cause like at the end of the day, that's what 
I feel like Mo and our, myself have been trying to pride ourselves on on being, you know, non-experts, you know, because like that's ca- probably why mm-hmm. we kind of came into this ourselves, just because we got tired of everybody trying to, you know, present themselves as experts, as these analysts, when it's just like, yo, the lifeblood or the Knicks has been the fans, you know what I mean? So, that's it. And then that's like right. the most beautiful thing we've seen about nothing but Knicks is just like that whole community coming together. It's like a brotherhood, sisterhood too. Obviously, we don't want to exclude the ladies from the Knicks community, mm-hmm. but yeah, I mean, that's probably just, you know, I guess our biggest takeaway and why we kind of really identify with nothing but Knicks. That's the kind of partnership we wanted to pursue. You know what I mean? So just to hear you kind of tell your story, it's like resonates really hard with, with Mo and myself, you know? So that's a beautiful thing, man. I appreciate that, man. Appreciate it. What what I thought was really interesting is just kind of watching your videos recently. It's just, you look like a seasoned vet doing it. And then just to hear you say you were shy, even as early as 2014, is kind yeah. of just like blowing me away a little bit. So just, you know, me and Mo are kind of rookies in this game still. So just what kind of helped you get more comfortable just in terms of, you know, podcasting, you know, posting these shows and just, you know, help you overcome that shyness, quote unquote. Yeah, I think just being comfortable, just doing it really. You know, if you go back and you look at some of the earlier videos when I was just pre-recording, mm-hmm. um, my my voice was a little softer mm-hmm. in the way I was doing it. You know, I, I don't think that I uh, um, used or brought out my character. You know, I was careful, kind of on eggshells with the way that I said things or how, how I wanted to say it because I didn't know uh, how people were going to take it. Um, and then finally, I just said, you know what? I just got to do me mm-hmm. and the people that like me will like me. And the people that don't will not like me. Um, and, and I just got more and more comfortable being in front of the camera. Got you. I got way more comfortable doing it live mm-hmm. than doing pre-recorded. Um, you know, I can do it pre-recorded. I don't have a problem. But what I say, I got more. I got more comfortable, you know, just just being live in front of everyone because there's a little bit of pressure on people to be live, right? Sure. Because yeah. you don't know how people are gonna react. You gotta find something to say. You can't just sit there and think about what to say. Mm-hmm. So you gotta find something to say. You gotta be able to react. You gotta kind of be quick on your feet, you know, when people throw something at you and 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 ask you a question. So it just took practice. And I'd go back and watch my videos and say, I need to do this. I need to do that. Um, and, and just kind of watch myself a little bit. And that's hard because most people, including myself, mm-hmm. don't like to hear themselves talk. Yeah. Don't like to see themselves on video, right? <laughs> and yeah. so you feel funny looking at yourself. And you it's like you want to cringe like, oh, my gosh, why did I say that? And most people don't even hear that you said it this way mm-hmm. or, yeah. you know, that you had a funny look on your face or, you know, whatever it is. But I would go back and just watch. Uh, now I'm just, you know, just comfortable being in front of the microphone. Um, and it just took me going out and doing it. You know, I I get a lot of people ask me about, you know, how to start a podcast or any kind of live show mm-hmm. and I always tell them just just start it don't worry about if your camera uh if you have the greatest camera or if you have the the best sound your sound is probably more important than the camera the video itself because you know people want they've got to hear what you're saying they may not, they may not even watch you on the screen mm-hmm. you know they're gonna listen but I always tell them don't worry about that start with what you have 
as long as you have decent sound, decent enough sound. And if you have a cell phone with headphones, mm -hmm. you can get decent enough sound. It's like, start there, you know, just start. That's the key. Just start. Yeah. You know, I think that, you know, a lot of people never get to the starting line. Um, and because they're like, well, I got to have this great logo. I got to have this great intro. I got to have this mu music in the background. And I've got to have all of these things because I see these other uh, shows, you know, that have all these things going on. But all of those shows started off probably as one person in front of a camera mm -hmm. talking. And then as they went on and they grew, they started to add different elements into it. Uh, so that's why I tell people all the time, just start. That's the biggest thing, start. And then as you're going, research and learn, you know, how to make, how to make your podcast grow. Exactly, you know? yeah. And, you know, for Nickish-wise, we started two years ago, but we prepped for, I want to say, what, five, six months before we released our first episode. And really, it is, it is just buying everything that you need, equipment-wise, and just getting started. So... Definitely, and I think Sam hands down, you probably have the best setup there is from all of Nick's content creators easily. Uh, so, so definitely shout out, shout out for that, um, and shout out to to your whole system or your setup because you do give a lot of Nick's fans a voice, whether it's on your chat or just allowing them to get onto your show and just speak their speak their words and just you know give their thoughts on whatever's going on in the Knicks and just the general NBA. Uh, but mo moving forward to the current day Knicks. What are your general mm. thoughts on the front office? The way Leon Rose has been operating, him bringing in World Wide West, Walt Perrin, there's still Scott Perry and Frank Zanin, and those guys in general. What are your What are your thoughts? Is this a step in the right direction? Are we possibly seeing flashy names and hoping that it works out, or you know, is this good? Well, I so far really like what Leon Rose is doing. And I can't sit and say that I knew all of these guys before Leon Rose brought them into the Knicks organization. Mm -hmm. But when I hear what they do and what their role is, I understand that each person um, is playing a part. It's not, you know, I don't hear a lot of overlapping roles. Uh, you know, like when you, you know, you talk about, um, what's his name? Walt Perrin is a capologist. I know that's not what he's doing with the Knicks, but He's a capologist, right? Mm -hmm. And the Knicks had that, but he's supposed to be a very, very good capologist and someone that Leon Rose has worked with and, you know, done deals on the opposite side, you know, with Leon Rose being an agent and Perrin working for the team. Um, it's Walt Perrin. That, no, wait a minute. Walt Perrin's not the capologist. Who's the capologist? The guy from oh, Cleveland. Yeah, Brock Aller. Brock Aller. Brock Aller. Brock Aller. Yeah, Brock Aller is the capologist. Uh, Walt Perrin came from Sacramento, mm -hmm. right? As a um, you know a, 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 a draft scout, you know, and you know a guy that Leon Rose knows. Hey, this guy's no, this guy knows what he's doing. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I'm sure he's worked with him. You know, as an agent, they come in contact with everyone because they're always looking for young talent to represent. Right. Right. right? So they understand scouting. Of course, they understand, um, you know, how to work with the cap and who they, who they need to get to work with the cap. Um, so I think he's done a good job putting together parts, uh, you know, of people that, he's, that he trusts and people that are knowledgeable 
uh, have a history of uh, success in the league. Mm-hmm. You know, have come from organizations not exactly Sacramento, but have come from other <laughs> have come from other places that have had success in the NBA uh, and in college. Mm-hmm. So I, mm-hmm. I think that's important, and I think he's given that he's a rookie um, president. You know, he's put people around him that have more knowledge than he does, mm-hmm. and I feel like to me that says that he's not afraid to say. You have knowledge in this area. Go do it. Take the lead in this in in this area, whatever that area is. Take the lead, and then bring it back to me, and we'll talk about the decision together. I feel like all of their decisions are going to be um, it's going to be a brain trust of guys, and I think that's important in a leader. For sure, yeah. I always say, I always say, lead from the back, not from the front. Mm-hmm. Right? You let like, and, and I get that because. I've worked with a lot of kids in like boys and girls clubs and stuff like that. And as the director, I always walked in the back of the line. If we were on a field trip, I walked in the back. The reason why I walked in the back and I let the counselor or the instructor take the lead in the front, because from the back, if a kid gets out of line and goes this way, mm-hmm. I can say, Hey, we need you back over here in line. Yeah. If one of the counselors isn't doing their job, I can observe and then later on talk and say, hey, he didn't do this, he didn't do that. So I can see everything that's in front of me when I lead from the back. When I'm leading from the front, I got everybody behind me and I can't see anything that's going on behind me. Exactly, yeah. You know what I mean? So I always believe that a, a good leader leads from the back, lets people take charge lets people do their job, hires people for a certain role and gives them the power to execute in that role. You know what I mean? The leader sets the vision. The leader provides the resources for all of these other people to do their job and to do it well. Mm -hmm. You know, not the leader isn't the person who says, you do this, you do that, you do that, do it this way, that way, that way. The leader doesn't have to be a know-all. The leader just has to be able to manage egos, manage character, uh, the, you know, different characteristics of people and provide the resources for people to do their jobs. You know, um, it's a service position. And I, I feel like that's what Leon Rose, it just seems to me that's what he's doing with the New York Knicks right, there, right now. And that gives me confidence. Mm-hmm. And I like the fact that he doesn't feel like he needs to be in front of the camera, making a whole bunch of statements. Um, you know, he's doing his job. He said, Hey, I'm going to let the proof be in the pudding. I'm going to show and prove, you know, I'm going to bring these people in and then I'll let you watch and you can decide. I'm just going to do my job the best way that I can do it. So I feel really, really confident in what he's been doing so far. You know, I think he's going to set, uh, the, I think he's going to set the organization up for success. Yeah, I know more and, more and myself feel the same way. You know, just I think to go off your point, just the best sign of a leader is they know what they don't know. And then what they don't know, they delegate to the people that got the expertise. And, you know, as like spectators, we, we're seeing Leon probably just set up the exact kind of team we need for that to be executed. You know, like it's not like where we had Phil and like his ivory tower, you know, what I mean, the Lord or Emperor of like the Knicks organization with no accountability. It seems like Leon, to your point, is putting together that exact team that can help him both like experience wise and just you know make the moves we need to 
see be made for us to actually be on the right track. Right. But, um, the thing about Leon, a lot of people bring up though, is just, you know, obviously the CA connection and, you know, you know, probably a number of years yeah. back, a lot of people were talking about just CAA was just running the Knicks, you know? So do you think that's like a actual legit, like worry we should keep in the back of our minds, whether Leon's about himself and the Knicks or whether he's about just, you know, lining the pockets of CAA? Um, I mean, the, the connection is obvious, right? Even, mm-hmm. even, uh, Tom Thibodeau's with CAA, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, the connect- <laughs> the connection is there, and that's the reason why there's so much talk about Carmelo Anthony coming back to the Knicks mm-hmm. and Chris Paul coming to the Knicks, right? Uh, but I think, you know, he's been, he's had success with CAA, Leon Rose, and if you want to have success in the NBA, in my opinion, you've got to have the team. You, you've got to have the team's best interest at heart. You know, sure. like when you look at Steve Mills, right? Mm-hmm. Steve Mills is not going to get another NBA job. <laughs> Nobody is going to hire Steve Mills. The only person that would hire Steve <laughs> Mills to run their organization is Mr. Dolan. Nobody else is going to hire Steve Mills. Mm-hmm. Leon Rose, on the other hand, he's just getting into uh, you know, a- a- an executive position in the NBA. He'll be with the Knicks for what what he signed, a five year contract or something like that? Yeah, I think so. Five years. He'll, he'll, five years. He'll be with the Knicks, hopefully, for those five years. But once you know, once you jump in and you're an executive, now you may decide you don't like it and say, you know, I'm gonna go back to doing what I'm doing. But he doesn't strike me as that kind of guy. To him, this is another step in his career ladder, you know, I feel. And he's going to want to set himself up so that he has opportunities elsewhere if it, if it doesn't work out in New York. And if people look at him and say, well, you know, you're just trying to line the pockets of CAA, <laughs> then they're not going to hire him again. You yeah. know what I mean? Uh, you know, your reputation is everything. So I think that he's going to try to do right by the New York Knicks. Now, does it mean that he won't build on the relationships and use the relationships that he's that he has with CAA, I think he will. I mean, you you can already see, you know, I mean, you see World Wide West, who's had a long-time connection with CAA. Of course, he's had a connection with everybody. You know, he's in the fold. You got Tom Thibodeau in the fold. Now, if, I don't think it's going to happen, if Carmelo Anthony and Chris Paul end up being with the Knicks, you know, then you know, those rumors and that speculation is going to be out there, but I think he's going to try to do the right thing by the, by the New York Knicks. I I think he will, you know, with Phil Jackson, a lot of people say that he, I thought that Phil Jackson had the right ideas in mind. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I thought his ego took over a little bit, but I thought he had the right ideas on how to build a culture through, you know, how on how to build a culture and, uh, you know, using your basketball system as a uh, as a way that builds well not only just your culture, uh, but you build a system where you know you can plug people in. Mm-hmm. You know, and so when you're scouting, when you're looking in free agency, uh, when you're drafting players, you know exactly I need this kind of guy to fit in here. Right. You know, right. and I need to plug this hole, that hole. Uh, so I thought he was on the right. I thought he I thought he had the right ideas in place. I think his ego got in the way a little bit and and then how he dealt with Carmelo Anthony and, and other guys on the team. I thought that really, you know, got in the way, but you know, people always say about Phil Jackson that, 
you know, he was just in there for the money. And yes, he got a lot of money. Uh, and, you know, he got a lot of money. And just then a little bit. After he left, the Knicks went and kicked his feet up in Montana, right? Yeah. But I thought that he had the right ideas, you know, and, and was probably was in it for more than the money. I thought he was looking at it as, hey, this is the last leg of my legacy. If I can turn this around, you know, I might be looked at as the greatest. I, that's what I thought. It's just that his style, you know, in, in that in that role was maybe not what people expected. Exactly. Yeah. That's you know that's just you know from from my perspective um, of it. So you know, but people say that you know he just used the Knicks, and maybe with Phil Jackson, he's at the last leg of his career. He's not coming back to the NBA. Maybe mm-hmm. right because he doesn't have to worry about uh, you know trying to get another job. Leon Rose. I think it's just different, you know, because he's got to look at his reputation. It was the same thing with Scott Perry. Um, you know, people were asking about Scott Perry and whether or not they felt Scott Perry was going to uh, hijack free agency or hijack um, uh, uh, the trade deadline mm-hmm. to try to bring in players to save his job. So not free agency, the trade deadline. Hijack the trade deadline to try to bring in players to save his job. And I was like, ah, I, I could see that from Steve Mills because he's not going to get hired anyplace else in, as an executive. But for Scott Perry, he's got a good reputation around the league. And if he does something like that, he'll ruin it. Yeah. You know, so, yeah. So, and that's the same thing I think about Leon Rose. Yeah, I mean, all great points because, you know, I'm on the same boat as you. I thought Phil was well-intentioned, but kind of the same credentials that made him believe he could take over and fix the Knicks is probably what did him in in the first place. Like the ego, like Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm the Zen master. Like I can't, nobody else can hold me accountable. I don't need to really change my approach, but then, you know, we saw how that ended. So I think the same principle with Leon, you know, he's coming in with like that kind of legacy as a power agent. So to your point, he's, he's going to have the Knicks best interest at heart because, you know, he would have set aside his whole career that he's been building just to jump in and, you know, not really take it as seriously as he should. I think it's the same principle with World Wide West, too, you know? Like, I saw somebody say, why would he give up that whole aura and, you know, reputation he had just to come and not, you know, take this job seriously, you know? So I'm on I'm on the same page with you there, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, you know, with World Wide West, you know, that aura and, and image and all of, and all of that, mm-hmm. some, I mean, I don't know. I don't, I'm not counting his pockets, right? But having an image in an aura doesn't always mean it's bringing in money. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know what I mean? You yeah. know, uh, nobody really knows what he does, but he probably gets money from the connections that he builds and doing jobs here, there, and, 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 and that money can be fleeting. Sometimes you get this much, you know, you, you get a whole bunch of money. Mm-hmm. Other times it dries up. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um so it's like, hey, I can get a job. I'm here for five years, mm-hmm. and I'm going to get this amount of money, steady income. I don't have to worry about it being fleeting. 401K, all that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Maybe even some stocks and, and MSG. Who knows? You yeah. know, so, yeah, you know, that's, that's, you know, that aura and that image is great, mm-hmm. but it doesn't always pay the bills. Right. That's a fact. And, you know, I, I like to say that the NBA teams itself is like a business and business businesses are built on relationships and connections. And when it, when it comes to Leon Rose and World Wide West and those guys, no one probably in the NBA has more connections than those guys. Right. Now, 
for for a duo or at least for Leon Rose who has you know quote unquote messed up the Knicks so many times on past negotiations with like Andrea Bargiani at times like those if those guys are able to hoodwink you like that you might as well bring them onto your side and hoodwink everyone else in the exactly. NBA. Exactly. Um, <laughs> that's the way I see it. So I'm, I'm happy to have a guy who's as skilled as that to convince the Knicks to make so many awful trades to be able to do that for our, for us now. Now, next week, or actually in a couple of days, is the draft lottery. So we're going to move on to that right now because that's we're, we're, in, we're taking that next step. And if the Knicks don't have a top three pick... Sim, what do you what do you hope to see the Knicks do? Do you hope to see trades, or do you hope to, for them to do their due diligence and hire and just draft the next best player available? Or are you really gunning for a you know Edwards or a Ball kind of guy? You know, uh, there's so many different scenarios that the Knicks can participate in in in, in the draft. Mm-hmm. Um, if they don't get a top three pick. There's, there's a few scenarios that I'm not opposed to, right? I think that they're going, they're going to get a young point guard, but I also believe that Tom Thibodeau wants a veteran point guard. Mm-hmm. He's always had a veteran point guard. Uh, they don't have to be the greatest point guard in the world, uh, but he's always had a veteran point guard to convey his message. So I think he's going to look for a veteran point guard. Right, whether or not that's going to be Chris Paul, I think there was a, there was one time when I thought that Minnesota would give up Chris Paul mm-hmm. for cap space. I think I've changed my mind. I see the way that you know I was just watching games the other day, and he just controls the team, and they would not be this team in Oklahoma. They wouldn't be where they are now without Chris Paul. There's no doubt in my mind. So he's very valuable to them and teaching those young guys uh, how to be winners, right? Mm-hmm. So I think if you're going to try to get Chris Paul, I don't think OKC would be opposed to trading them, but you're going to have to give up something. And I don't think I want to give up any draft picks or young players for Chris Paul, right? So I don't know if Chris Paul will actually be in the fold, but I do believe that Tom Thibodeau is going to look for a veteran point guard uh, I, I just don't see him. One, you have Julius Randle, and, you know, he's a guy who, uh, you know, has has an ego himself. And I think to – to for Randle to play best, he needs a point guard that he respects. That's mm-hmm. what I think. Mm-hmm. So I think they're going to bring in a veteran point guard um, – and then maybe look for a young guy in, in in the draft. Now, if they can't get a top three pick, if they don't get a top three pick, that means you know you you're looking at Killian Hayes, you know guys guys in that area. Uh, and I don't know if they're, I don't know how how much they're excited about those guys. And there's so many of them. You could you could trade down if you wanted to, to accumulate some more assets and still pick up one of those guys, you know, because after the top three pick, what did Leon Rose say? There's parity across the draft after those top three picks. So right, if there's right. parity across, across the draft, then, Hey, I might as well trade down, accumulate some more assets and I can still get a player that has the same uh, potential. Mm-hmm. Right. 
so I think if they don't get a top three pick, they'll be looking at a lot of different scenarios. I wouldn't mind a scenario where we were able to nab up uh, Kira Lewis and Sadiq Bey. I think those two players would work very well with the Knicks. Mm-hmm. Sadiq Bey, you know, he's a three-point shooter. He can play defense. He can rebound the ball a little bit. It's not extremely fast. You know, he's not going to blow you away with, with with explosion or anything like that, but I think he's going to be a really good player in the NBA. I don't know if he's going to be all-star level, but, you know, you don't always need that. Sometimes you need role players that can just come in and do their job and be, you know, a, a, a good pro and, um, you know, uh, and a guy that understands success. And he's – he's uh, in college, you know, he's been successful mm-hmm. in college. Right, uh, I think he won a championship with Villanova. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that he, um, I think he would be a good fit with the Knicks because we definitely need shooting uh, to spread the floor. And then Sadiq, I mean, and then uh, Kira Lewis is a nice, quick, young point guard that can get up and down the floor. Uh, that maybe you can groom to be that leader on the floor, right? The, mm-hmm. the you know, the, the the kind of guy that can lead a team so that when whoever your veteran point guard is out, it's done, he's gone. You got Kira Lewis stepping right up into that role. And he seems to be a guy that has good character. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so I would not mind finding a way to nab those two players. You know, I, I, I would definitely like that. Uh would I trade up into the top three? I mean, if you, you know, depending on where the Knicks get, say they get the sixth pick, of course you got to give up the sixth pick. I don't mm-hmm. think it's going to be just the sixth and the 27th pick, right? Mm-hmm. That's not going to, I don't think that's going to get you into the top three. You're going to have to give up another young player. So who's that going to be? That's going to either be Mitchell Robinson, that's a no, RJ Barrett, that's a no, or Kevin Knox. Or lightly right? and, Dennis Smith. <laughs> or, 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 right, right. <laughs> or, or maybe a Dennis Smith or Frank. Yeah. Now, if it's Dennis Smith Jr., would I do it? Maybe. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'd do it. Uh, if it's Frank Nilakina, no, I wouldn't. I think that Frank Nilakina has, like, with Dennis Smith Jr., you, you know that he's talented and he, he can jump out the gym and he can do those type of things. But right now in the NBA, he has nothing to hang his hat on. Yeah. At an early age, Frank Nilakina has defense to hang his hat on. Mm-hmm. You know, and if he doesn't develop anything else, you know, well, he's just going to be a defensive guy for us. And he's going to come in and be uh, a defensive stopper. Mm-hmm. If anything else, you know that. So you know you have something with Frank Nilakina, Dennis Smith Jr. You don't know. You know what I'm saying? You know, can yeah. somebody unlock the talent? Uh, you know, get him to work uh, at an extremely high level so that he can reach his potential. I think that's still up in the air. So would I move him for a six pit, uh, to, to move up into the top three? Yeah, I would. But I don't know if anyone's going to want Dennis Smith Jr. right yeah. now. If, mm-hmm. um, if someone would take Dennis Smith Jr. off our hands for a top three pick, I would do it 100, 100 <laughs> times over. Right. His value is so low right now. People are talking about second-round picks for um, tennis. I would do yeah. it. Now, Kevin Knox, you know, Kevin Knox is such an enigma because he's so young, not not just age-wise, but mentally, you know, he's, you know, he, he's got to mature. Yeah. He's got to mature in the NBA. 
I don't think they're moving Kevin uh, uh, Kevin Knox. They just hired Kenny Payne. It's Kenny Payne, right? Mm -hmm. They just hired Kenny Payne to work with Kevin Knox. So I think they're looking like we're going to we're going to try to we're going to try to get what we're supposed to get out of Kevin Knox. Yeah, you know I, what I mean. Yeah, it's just like so, bringing so I, Kenny in. It's just like yo, this guy can't get it done with Knox, and you know we might need to like trade him next year. I guess might be the thinking. Right. You know? Yeah, I don't know if I would agree with you guys there. I don't. I I think it'd be it's a little bit of a. I know a lot of people believe or are with that statement that Kenny Payne was brought in for a lot of which for Knox, but I think Kenny Payne was just brought in particularly for his development skills, and Kevin Knox mm -hmm. would just be a beneficiary of it. But I wouldn't be surprised at all if there was still a trade for Kevin Knox. Like there, there shouldn't it shouldn't be a surprise if he still gets traded. And because I. People might be like, why would they trade Knox? They just got Kenny Payne, but Kenny Payne's not brought in for Kevin Knox, I would say. I think he just brought in because of his high ability to develop young talent. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I, I agree with you there. I think that he is brought in not just for Kevin Knox, right? But I think it's going to probably benefit Kevin Knox the most right Definitely. now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, but I agree with you. He's brought in because of his ability to develop players, you know, and create a connection with players. So I definitely agree with you there. And he's not the only guy. Julius Randle is going to be a beneficiary as well. Yeah, I mean, you know I mean? Listens, um, because sometimes it don't seem like Julius yeah. Randle has anything between the ears. You know what I mean? Like just <laughs> well, in the plane, you know, eyes closed, throw up some. Garbage. Yeah, bat, you know, basketball wise, he may not have. He doesn't have the highest basketball IQ from my perspective when you talk about Julius Randle. Mm -hmm. But the hard thing is. With the way that David Fisdale started off the season trying to use him, um, it's just hard to say what anybody was able to do last year because of the way the season started off. And, you know, those training camps are really important because it sets mm -hmm. the tone of the team for the season. You know what I mean? And you start building habits in training camp. And it's not easy to just break those habits throughout the season because you don't have a lot of practices. Yeah, you know, so you know, once you start building a habit, and this is the way that the team plays, it kind of sticks for most of the season. You can try to change mid course, but you know, if you're going to change mid course during the All Star break, you got to have everybody stay and say, okay, we're going to relearn what we do, you know, because you just don't get a lot of practices to make those changes, you know. So uh, those training camps are really, really important, and I think. From training camp, they started off like he's going to be our point forward. I don't know what made David Fisdale think that he was going to be a point forward <laughs> and be able to, uh, you know, run the team like LeBron James. You know what I mean? I just don't. <laughs> right. I don't know what made him think that. Uh, but obviously he couldn't do it. And he never fully changed his way of thinking. I think midway through, you know, when Marcus Morris was taking over, he understood that Marcus Morris at that point was the leader out there and he respected Marcus Morris and he let Marcus Morris go ahead and lead, talking about Julius Randle. Mm -hmm. um, and then Mike Miller, you know, tried to keep him closer to the basket. I, I thought that Mike Miller did a good job in changing the way the system uh, was, you know, was played, but you know, you're talking about, you know, when you talk about the team and with Julius Randle, he went from being a point forward, supposedly, you know, the, the focal point and the leader of the team, to having to give up that leadership naturally to Marcus Morris. And then Marcus Morris leaving, 
And now he has to be a leader again. And then a change in the way that he has to play, you know, because Mike Miller is the coach. Yeah. You know, so, you know, that's, that's a lot of, that's a lot of change in, in inconsistent, you know, inconsistency. I don't even know if that's a word, but you know, there's a lot of change there. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm looking forward to see what Tom Thibodeau, uh, can do with Julius Randle, and I think Kenny Payne is going to be a big part of that because he did coach him at Kentucky. Uh, he did coach him, right? Yeah. Um, you know, and, and work with him when he was younger and in college. You know, so I'm interested to see, interested to see how he can connect with uh, Julius Randle. For sure. As well as you know, as well as. Um, well, I don't know who the assistant coach is, who the other assistant coach is going to be. I was about to say somebody's name, but I don't know if it's going to be. Uh, but as far you know, back to Kevin Knox and being traded, he could be traded, you know, because, yes, Kenny Payne is brought in as a developmental coach, so he could still be traded. I think that they want to see how it works out with him, so he's not going to get traded. Unless whoever gets that number one pick offers it up and says, we'll give you the number one pick. You give us the sixth pick and Kevin Knox and the 27th pick, and we'll give you the number one pick. The Knicks <laughs> might do that. I cannot. Might. Give us Kevin Knox, and we'll give you the number you one pick. You Leon if you don't jump on that right away. Like, right. Yes, come on we need now. Kevin Knox. <laughs> right. but, but, but I don't think that's going to happen. You know, mm-hmm. So I would think that the Knicks would try to maybe trade down, depending on where they get it. They get that sixth pick, maybe trade down, and – you know, try to accumulate some more picks, mm-hmm. uh, you know, since they believe that there's parity in the draft. Um, maybe try to may, maybe try to package something to move up as well. But I mm-hmm. think it would be more than likely that they move down a little bit mm-hmm. and, you know, try to accumulate more, more picks. Now, you got to think about salary cap, though, because if you move down, you know, let's say you move down and now you got three picks in the draft – in the first round, you got to pay all three of those picks, you know, um, yeah, yeah. that's guaranteed money. So there's a lot of things that could happen. And I'm pretty sure that, you know, Leon Rose and World Wide West, you know, are talking with people about the potential for trades. For sure. Stuff like that. I mean, I mean, yeah. that's all we heard just when Leon got hired, Tibbs got hired. It's just like the stockpile of assets. We got all that flexibility. So, Right now is probably the most interesting time as a fan just because we got all these possibilities to talk about. You know what I mean? And I feel like that hasn't been a regular occurrence in a minute. So it's good to know that we got cap flexibility, mad cap space, mad picks, some young players we could throw in deals. So possibilities just seem endless, especially with the draft. But right. um, you touched on Fizz, though. And, you know, obviously we had that whole point forward fiasco with um. he probably saw Julius Randle do those pull-ups with a chain around his neck. He's like, all right. I got my LeBron James. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> that right. whole photo shoot probably just had him all hot and bothered. But um, pivoting from Fisdale, the kind of tone he set and the culture he – or culture he didn't instill, we kind of did a hard right turn or did a hard left turn in the Tibbs. So, you know, we just kind of wanted to get your thoughts just in terms of what do you expect of Tibbs or more importantly, I guess, was he your preference going in? And, you know, and what do you expect right now that he's here? Yeah, my preference was Kenny Atkinson going in. That was my preference. Yeah, you know, I thought that he w- he was the perfect guy to set up a, a developmental system for the young players. I just wasn't sure how much Tom Thibodeau. When I read about some of the things that Kenny Atkinson was doing, 
I was like, yeah, this is what the Knicks need, especially having so many young players. Uh, one of, if not the youngest team in the league, you know, we need that kind of college type of system that really gives the guys a lot of structure, uh, uh, a lot of, um, and a lot of discipline. Mm-hmm. I didn't know if Tom Thibodeau had those kind of systems set up. You know, he's a discipline. He is a disciplinarian. Right? I do believe he's a disciplinarian. He is a coach that I've, I think that uh, players are going to respect. And this could have been, you know, with whatever happened with Kyrie and KD could have hurt Kenny Atkinson. And the fact that now it's around star players don't respect them. Mm-hmm. Star players don't want to play for him. Um, you know, and is it because of the equal opportunity type of offensive system that he runs? And he doesn't like it when a guy is sitting and going one-on-one and taking, you know, 10 dribbles to get to the basket. Uh, I don't know. But my, the, the, when talking about Kenny Atkinson, uh, the question that I had about him was, can he, because of the type of system that he has, when you do have a player that's a star come to your team, is it going to work? Mm-hmm. So that, you know, that was the long-term question I had about him. With Tom Thibodeau, it's kind of reversed. Can he set up the developmental system that's going to allow the guys to grow? Mm-hmm. But I don't, have, I don't think there's going to be an issue when a star player, if we do ever get a star player, uh, or hopefully – you know, build a star player. I don't think they're going to have any issues with Tom Thibodeau, right? Because he's the kind of coach that's going to play to the strengths of his team and allow, you know, while he'll have a system set up for the other guys, he'll allow uh, that star player to do his thing out there. You know, so I, you know, I wasn't mad with Tom Thibodeau. I'm not mad with Tom Thibodeau at all. As a matter of fact, I think he's going to be good for RJ Barrett. I think that he may be good for Kevin Knox, you know, I think that Kevin Knox, I feel like Kevin Knox is the type of player and the type of person that if you baby him, mm-hmm. he'll go ahead and be the baby. But if you're tough with him, he'll step up and respond. Some people think that maybe um, it'll take his confidence away. I don't. I think he will step up and respond. And I think that kicking the butt that Tom Thibodeau will give him might be exactly what he needs. And I think for Julius Randle, with Tom Thibodeau, it could go either way. Mm-hmm. If he's, you know, if he wants to be hard-headed, then him and Tom Thibodeau could clash. If he's the type of player that's like, you know what, I respect Tom for what he's done in the league, uh, then we could see some of the best, some of the best basketball from Julius Randle this year. In my opinion, that's what I think. You know, if he listens to Tom Thibodeau, because if he does, Tom, listen, Julius Randle has talent. There's no doubt about it. He's just, sure. he's strong. He can bull people over. If he gets ahead of steam going downhill, you're not going to want to get in front of him. Uh, his jump shot isn't great, but, uh, you know, he can he can pass, right? He can find cutters going to the basket. He has some basketball skill. Mm-hmm. You know, how he uses that skill is another thing, but he has some basketball skill. And I think that Tom Thibodeau is the type of coach that will put him in a position uh, to look his best. And if Julius Randle listens to Tom Thibodeau and, you know, doesn't put up much of a fight, then I think you could see 
a good season, a really good season from Julius Randle. Uh, so I think there's some players that Tom Thibodeau could really be, that he can really help some of those guys. Um, and then if they hire the right people, I'm hoping that Mike Woodson is going to be in the fold because I think he's a good father figure, fatherly type figure for some of the guys that's out there, mm-hmm. right? Um, and then you have your developmental coaches. Because see, with, with David Fisdale, they did, he did things opposite. Like, he wanted to be the friend and let his assistant coaches be the disciplinarians. That's not the way it works. Yeah, you know what right. I'm saying? You know, because when it comes down to it, the head coach has to make the decisions. Mm-hmm. So if you're trying to be the big brother, if you're trying to be the friend, and then you have to make decisions, you know, guys are going to hold grudges against you. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Because like, oh, I thought we were pals, and now you're benching me. Right. You know, right. stuff like that. The head coach has to be the mean one. The head coach has to be the one that people, when they walk in the gym, everybody groans like, oh, gosh, here he comes. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. that's the way things have to work. And then your assistant coaches are the one that puts, you know, they put their arms around you and say, hey, don't worry about it. I know coach said this. You know, he's just, you know, he's got a lot on his plate. Let's work on this so you, you, can, you, you can make sure you get on the floor. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's the way it's supposed to work. And David Fisdale wanted to be the big brother and develop the relationships while someone else was mean. Tom Thibodeau, he's going to be a disciplinarian. (laughs) But he'll still develop a relationship Mm -hmm. with the players, I think. But he's going to be a disciplinarian. And then someone like a Mike Woodson can be the guy that's going to put his arm around you and sit down and say, come to the end of the bench, let's talk. You know, uh, I think he's I think he's good at that, and that could be a really good role for him here. Um, so I think that I really do think it can work with Tom Thibodeau. And the fact that the one thing that I wanted with Leon Rose being a, a rookie, general uh, rookie president, was to make sure that we had an experienced coach. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, and not a young coach that um, you know was feeling their way around the NBA or uh, feeling the way around being a head coach. Uh, Tom Thibodeau has got a lot of experience in the NBA. Uh, He's had success in the NBA. I think he's only had one. Well, his last season in Minnesota, it only went what? A few games, right? So it's hard to say. I mean, it it was a losing season up to that point, Mm -hmm. but they probably would have turned it around. Uh, I think the season before that, I don't remember what their record was, but I think he's only had like one losing season in the NBA. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and you know, he's had a lot of talent. You know, but you know, that says something. You know, losing season as a head coach. You know, that says something about what he can do, I think. And, you know, Jimmy Butler, you know, obviously he came out of it great. Mm-hmm. You know, when Derrick Rose went down with the Chicago Bulls, he was able to say, Hey, all right, we gotta we gotta shift the way that we run our offense and ran it through Joe Kim Noah. You know, so I think that um, I think he's going to be good. I think he's going to be good for the team, and he's going to help out a lot of players here. You know, and, and I think you know when I, I, R.J. Barrett, Julius Randle, Kevin Knox, I think they're going to benefit the most. Personally, I worry a little bit about Mitchell Robinson with Tom Thibodeau. Uh, I know, you know, uh, I'll probably get a lot of people that disagree with me, but Tom Thibodeau, when you look at the type of big man that he's had, Mm -hmm. he's always had a big man that can post. Mm -hmm. 
Mm -hmm. You know, score a little bit from the post. Uh, Joe Kim Nolan really couldn't score from the post, but he could pass, right? And we haven't seen Mitchell Robinson do much passing from that uh, high elbow area. Mm -hmm. You know, I, Kenny, I don't know. Maybe he can. But Tom Thibodeau's always had big men from Todd Gibson to even Carl Anthony Towns, Joe Kim Noah, who's able to post and able to pass from the high post. Yeah. And I don't know if Mitchell Robinson is able to do that right now in his career. And I don't know if Tom Thibodeau, I haven't seen an offense. I haven't seen Tom Thibodeau coach a player like Mitchell Robinson. Yeah. I mean, I so I'm interested well, to see how that is. I think that's the beauty of the Kenny Payne hire too, just because the stories you hear is just like, at least with Anthony Davis, he was just like a frail kind of twig. And then Kenny Payne got his hands on him and told him how to like, you know, stick his butt out, get positioning in the post and like did a little jump right. hook at least. And we see how he's thriving. So, I mean, Hopefully that's like a beautiful marriage right there, you know, just getting ready to happen. Kenny Payne, Mitch, and then Tibbs overseeing everything. So I think maybe a hard summer of work has Mitchell Robinson looking like Joakim Noah out there from the mid post. You never know. Yeah, I, <laughs> and, hope, I hope so. I hope so because I really like Mitchell Robinson. I think he has a lot of talent, mm -hmm, a lot mm -hmm. of talent. Yeah, and I think you, you perfectly encapsulated the whole idea behind it because – I think that's the reason why Tom Thibodeau didn't succeed in Minnesota is because he had to also play the president role and develop player relationships, and that's not something you can do as a combination as a head coach. So the, the Knicks really tried the unorthodox coach method by hiring Fizdale and seeing what he can do, and Fizdale just was too unorthodox, and it didn't work out. He was trying to he, – he wanted KP to bring up the ball at a point. That was Those, those were some of his ideas while KP was out, and, you know, Things like that just don't work out. So I think it's it's good that the Knicks are going back to the old way of having the hard-nosed head coach with player development, relationship assistant coaches. And I'm pretty sure DeAndre Jordan was with Mike Woodson when Woodson was in L.A. Correct me if I'm wrong. Maybe. Uh, I'm not sure. Maybe. I don't know. He might That's have been. I, I'm not sure. That, that was, I was just trying That's to think of which, which one of those assistant coaches played with or coach a player like Mitchell Robinson, the closest player I think of is DeAndre Jordan. I think Mike right. Woodson might have been in L.A. while Tyson Jordan Chandler was there. Tyson Chandler next with Mike Woodson. Tyson Chandler, Tyson Chandler yeah. and Mike Woodson. Tyson yeah, Chandler that's, that's perfect. Woodson, yeah, yeah I, don't know, I don't know why I didn't think of that first. But, um, yeah, Thibodeau with, with the hard-nosed uh, coaching, I think there there's a lot of bad habits to break in New York right now that started from previous coaching, and Thibodeau's going to be the perfect guy to really build them up and hold them accountable for their, for their you know lack of strong plays. And everyone everyone knows the best players in the NBA in in history are those that want to be coached. You look at Jordan, first and foremost, is the most coachable player that that people have known. And if a player doesn't want to be coached, then they're not destined to be the best players in the NBA. And I think Thibodeau is going to be someone who can set that tone for everyone else. And I think bringing Woodson and Kenny Payne would be a they're great complimentary pieces and hopefully we can see Mike Miller come in as well. So now, are there any other, are there any other guys that you hope to see Sim join the bench uh, with, with Thibodeau and Payne and uh, Woodson? Um, no, nah, not, not really. Not really. Yeah, uh, Mike Miller, Mike Miller. Yeah. I'd like to, you know, I'd like to see Mike Miller stick around. Um, I mean, 
do you think the because I got this pipe dream that Kenny Atkinson would want to just join us for a year as a lead assistant? Do you think there's any chance of that? You know? Nah, I don't nah. think so. I think I think he's gonna. I think Kenny Ak Kat, bleh, Kenny Atkinson <laughs> is. Yeah. He's gonna look and see what happens in the bubble league. Mm -hmm. You know, see if some you know some coaches lose their jobs, and then you know he's probably gonna be up for one of those jobs. How would you feel about yeah. Alvin Gentry? Because I personally, Gentry. I think I think someone who has been on the bench with so many of the best offenses that the NBA's ever seen with Steve Nash and Steph Curry and Kerr and Mike D'Antoni, I think he would be awesome as an offensive assistant coach if it's only strictly offense that we're talking. Right, right, right. That, yeah, that that'd be. I mean, that wouldn't be a bad hire. That wouldn't be a bad hire. Uh, you know, he's also. You know, it, it, it's it's hard. Like with Mike Woodson, you know, he's been an assistant. He doesn't mind any role that's given to him. I guess you gotta you just gotta know where guys, you know, where where are their egos and what they feel about themselves as a coach, and then what opportunities are out there for them as well. Uh, I don't want to underestimate Tom Thibodeau's offensive abilities. For sure, you know. Um, I think he did a really good job in Chicago when Derrick Rose went down and, you know, having an offense that can, you know, distribute the basketball, uh, find different ways to score the ball. Uh, obviously having too many minds. Well, having too many minds can help you. Well, having a lot of minds can help you, can but hurt also you. hurt you. Yeah, too many cooks right? in the kitchen, you know, that old cliche. Yeah. I mean, yeah, so, you know, I think it's a good job to make sure that each assistant has a definitive role, just like on the court. The players mm -hmm. have a definitive role in what they're doing. Each assistant has a definitive role, um, just like a machine, mm -hmm. you know, and, and, and they all link and work together. Yeah, I think the underrated part about the Woodson, like, higher in this whole machine that Leon and Tibbs are building is just that Woodson was there when we were the last flourishing, you know. It's not like years and decades ago in the 90s where Tibbs could talk about those memories. I mean, Woodson was here 2013, 2014, when we were still, like, a playoff mm -hmm. team, 54 games. So I feel like just kind of passing on that message to the young players that haven't been there or, you know, they've been stuck in just this hellhole that we've been kind of turned into. That, that's actually going to be major just because, like, hey, you know, nobody believed in that Knicks team. We won 54 games, you know. So I think that's always, like, a good thing to have. Just like, okay, it's not just all talk that the Knicks were once great because it just happened this decade at least, you know what I mean? So a lot of our young kids were just, you know, barely in out of high school probably back then or middle school. Right, right, right. And even this, even that second year, mm-hmm. You know, there were, a, there were a lot of injuries on that team. Tyson Chandler, J.R. Smith, a lot of injuries. Amari Stoudemire, these guys kept going down. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And they managed to get within a game of the playoffs, you know, once they got people back and they went on a nice run at the end of the season to try to get into the playoffs. They just couldn't get in. Yeah. You know, the season, you know, season ran out on them. But, uh, you know, they, they continued to fight and stay in it and made a push that almost got them in, almost got them into that eighth spot. Against all odds, we had trash ass Banyani eating up minutes too, and we still. <laughs> but, uh, so, like, that's almost more impressive than 54 games, honestly. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, I think in an interview with I don't remember who it was, but 
you know, they asked him what was one of his uh, favorite seasons. He mentioned that season with the Knicks oh, wow. when everybody was injured. He said because he just loved the way. Well, they asked him what was his best coaching mm-hmm. season. He mentioned that season as one of his best seasons as a coach because, you know, the guys stayed in it, stayed focused, and even though they didn't make the playoffs, made a push at the end, you know, a nice run at the end to try to get into the playoffs. So, could be yeah, well, we could be putting together a nice, strong team. Yeah, cautious uh, optimism. Yeah, I'm very. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> right. It can all go to shit. Uh, but you know that's that's Nickish for you. That's why that's why we named it because there's so many things can go wrong and really it ends up being something that's Nickish. <laughs> but anyway, Sim, uh, we're gonna we're gonna close this one up because you have a live stream that's coming up in a, in a little yeah. bit. So, uh, for our listeners who are new to nothing but Nicks, where can they follow you and where can they all check right. you out? On? You can you can you can follow me on Twitter. It's just at nothing but Nicks. It's N O T H I N. But B U T Knicks, and you can follow me on Instagram. Same thing, nothing but Knicks, and then on YouTube, youtubecom nothing but Knicks. Any place is just nothing but Knicks. Yep, nice. Yep, and, and if you go to Sportscaster, if people aren't familiar with Sportscaster, jump over to Sportscaster, and you can follow the whole NBK network. Sportscaster.com/nbk, and you can follow the the entire um, Sportscaster network. Nice, awesome. nice. Uh, Sim, Simi and Russell, thank you so much for coming on to our show. And we're very much excited to be joining your network of Nothing But Knicks and partnering up with some great basketball fan minds, and including yourself. And, you know, we hope that we really can build on it and bring some exciting content to Knicks fans all around. Definitely, so, man. And- uh, I appreciate you guys for having me on, and I look forward to doing it again. Yeah. Until next time. Take care, man. Yeah. Thanks again. All right. Peace out.